Hey, hey, Star Wars fans, it's Gary here from Spark of Rebellion, and we would love for you to listen to all of our brand new episodes when they land every single Saturday. Make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or pop over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash listen. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that via our Patreon. Just head over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash Patreon and come and join our other patrons. And thank you so much for your continued support. Now, may the force be with you and on to this week's Spark of Rebellion. Hello there. We would be honoured if you would join us. Hello there and welcome to Spark of Rebellion, the weekly Star Wars podcast brought to you from a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host for the week, Mr. Mark Asquith. Usually one part of the duality, the force duality, the force dyad that brings you the show every week. Of course, usually I'm here pattering with my good friend and, uh, you know, I'm going to say fellow knight of Wren, Mr. Gary Ayler, but he's off gallivanting in that there West Country. So he's down in, uh, you know, just enjoying a little bit of sun, a well-deserved break and just taking it easy. So he's going to be back next week, of course. And I think this week I'm going to talk about the High Republic because it's a fascinating fascinating thing that's going on right now in the Star Wars universe and it's something that I've sort of been digging into um, throughout some of the books and you know just all the things that have been published and uh, I think it's a good time to just you know kind of take stock of what's been going on with the High Republic and you know frankly assess whether or not we think the High Republic at this point is any good should you be checking out the High Republic as a Star Wars fan so I'm going to talk about that in just a second but honestly I just need to shout out as well to you know the team just who support us completely at every turn over on Patreon. We've got a fantastic set of patrons over there, including Sean, including Chris, including Tom, including, of course, the wonderful, the wonderful Pascal and Denise, who will be listening to this together, I've got no doubt. So a huge shout out to everyone that supports us on Patreon. And if you're wondering what Patreon is, well, it's a place to help creators like Gaz and I with their expenses. And just, you know, if you want to, if you want to just chuck us a book or two every month, it just helps us to produce this show. All right. So we, we tend to use it for, uh, things like merchandise, which you actually get in return for being a Spark Rebellion patron, you know, we'll send you a sticker out, you know, now we're back at the office. Um, well, getting back to the office, we're still not actually being in yet with COVID, but um, now we're getting back to it. We can start to send some swag out to our patrons that joined us throughout lockdown. Uh, and you could be part of that. And we just take that money, you know, whatever it, tots up to every month and we just let it build, we let it build, we let it build and then we invest it into new gear. You know, Gaz bought a new mic, uh, we're going to do some new live streaming stuff. We just we just use it to make the show better. So you can do that. If you want to get involved, you can do that at sparkofrebellion.com slash Patreon. Now look, I, like I said, I am going to talk about the High Republic, um, but it would be remiss of me not to mention that wonderful Star Wars gallery, The Mandalorian Season 2, uh, Episode 2 that has just come out this week, which was, um, I don't know if you ever watched the gallery like from Season 1, which was like the making of The Mandalorian, um, or if you even watched the Season 2 Episode 1 special, which was fantastic. Um, it was sort of all of Season 2, behind the scenes of all of Season 2, without the Mark Hamill bit. All right? So that, that was... Um, you know, that episode one was brilliant, but they put out this week, <clears throat> excuse me, this episode two, um, where it was basically going into the behind the scenes of that finale, you know, the, the one where 
I mean, if you've not watched it by now, then you shouldn't be listening to the show. But spoilers, the one where Luke Skywalker shows up. All right. And it's just it's a fantastic look at what was going on and how they did it. And, um, you know, they, they brought another Jedi back to life for the concept art to kind of keep the secrecy up. And it's just it's this fascinating look because uh, of everything else that leaked with the Mandalorian and this kind of age that we live in where we assume everything is going to leak. It was just fascinating to see this. Um, and to, you know, that they managed to keep Mark Hamill a secret and, you know, his, his love for Star Wars is fascinating. Now I'm saying that sort of for two reasons. Number one, because I think it's sort of pertinent to the High Republic stuff. And number two, just because I think every Star Wars fan should, should probably watch that. Um, and I'll tell you why I think it's pertinent to the High Republic stuff in just one second. Um, but I just I also want to say sorry because I, I have got a little bit of a grumbly cough. I've had it since about last January and it pisses me off, if I'm honest with you, when I'm recording. I can't help it. Um, my mum thinks I got COVID last year. I don't know if I did. Who knows? Uh, but I've just got COVID. I've just got over COVID this week, actually. I'm totally fine. Uh, totally totally cool. Um, you know, totally fine. Honestly, uh, all good. Um, but nonetheless, it's left me with more of a grumbly cough, which is a pain in the ass. So I apologize if I do grumbly cough. Normally, Gaz can, uh, I normally do it when he's talking. I'm muted on my side, but alas, he's not here today. Um, <clears throat> so, see, that was one. Um, so, right, the High Republic then. Let's think about this. So the High Republic, let me just give a little bit of context. Um, so in, what, 2019, 2018, there was a rumbling of this story group being brought together for this next era of Star Wars. And we didn't know what it was going to be. We sort of, you know, I suppose we, we, we sort of guessed that it was going to be something back in the day. Um, and sure enough, when it was announced, it was the High Republic. Now, <clears throat> the High Republic is at uh, is set 400 years before the prequel trilogy. Um, it features some characters that are still you know, familiar to us. Yoda's in there. He's not yet a grandmaster. He's just Master Yoda. He's not Grandmaster Yoda, which is fascinating. Um, and it's got another character in there, Terra Sanube, um, who makes an appearance in one of the books. And Terra Sanube is around during the Clone Wars because we've seen Terra Sanube in the Clone Wars TV show. Um, and I remember reading that and thinking, is that is that right? Like, I recognize that name. Is that Terra Sanube? Is that right? Is that Sanube? And sure enough, you know, I looked into it and it is. It's the same character. Um, so it's kind of this fascinating time frame, this 400 years ago, all right, you know, however you, 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 you deem Star Wars time, but 400 years prior to The Phantom Menace. And what's very, very cool about that is that it, it really gives us some opportunity. And this is what I like about this. So this is the Jedi at the height of their power. You know, there's, there's tens of thousands of these Jedi knocking around through, through the galaxy. And I'll get to some of that in a second. Um, Yoda's there as a master. He's he's not in, been any in any other literature. He's, he's sort of just he's, at, he's a little bit AWOL at the minute, having a bit of sabbatical, sabbatical, do, you know, doing some work with the younglings, uh, as we saw in the Clone Wars. But I've got no doubt that he will come into this. Um, and I think what's interesting about this time frame, certainly Gaz and I spoke about it back in the day when the High Republic was was was. Um, created, you know, they've not chosen the old Republic. They've not chosen a thousand years ago or 10,000 years ago. They've chosen a time frame in which Yoda can exist. And arguably other people, like I said, Terra Sanube, but we don't know like Maz Kanata. Is she around? Probably. There, there will be other people, like we don't know how, how old the Huts are. Like we know that the Huts do make an appearance in the, the High Republic, but it's, you know, it's like, it's not Jabba, but we don't know how long do the Huts live. We just don't know. So, you know, they, they, by setting it 400 years in the past from The Phantom Menace, they gave themselves a little bit of a, 
an, an overlap. They, they gave themselves the opportunity to be able to creatively get themselves out of any problems. Like, let's assume that the High Republic didn't do well. They do have the opportunity to lean into something like Yoda and stick him up front and centre and be like, ah, this is a Yoda story. So I, I was sort of... I was sort of pleasantly surprised when Yoda is out of the picture, but I think, you know, it's like, a, you know, they're sort of giving themselves this, this get out of jail free card. You know, if it does go a little bit pear shit, we'll bring Yoda in, tell a couple of Yoda stories, you know, flesh out his background. Because people will lap that up. Of course they will. You know, he's, <clears throat> excuse me, he's, he's at that point, like I said, he's a master, he's not the grandmaster. There is another grandmaster on the Jedi Council that's running the Jedi Council. Um, so it's fascinating. <clears throat> it's fascinating. So, I'm really enjoying this, all right. And what I'm what I'm really enjoying about it in particular, I mean, there there are a number of things that I'm I'm I'm, I'm curious about. Um, that that just kind of just got me thinking a little bit recently about this High Republic. The first one is that they pretty much just came out swinging, you know? So we've got all these Jedi, and I, I mentioned this before, like Gaz and I have spoken about this when we talked about like Alphabet Squadron and so on. Um, <clears throat> if you have if you have a lot of characters that you're introduced to during one book, it can be difficult to enjoy the book because you, you, you're trying to figure out who's who. So like the character motivations and the implications of, of, of what X action means for Y person, you, you know, if you're reading Revenge of the Sith, you, you sort of know that when Anakin does this and goes dark side, you know what the implications will be, not only for the galaxy, because we've seen Vader, but you know what the implications will be for Padme and Luke and Leia and for Yoda and for Palpatine and more importantly for Obi-Wan. So we, you know, we've gotten to know these characters. So I think when you introduce something like the High Republic, like they did with 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 um, Alphabet Squadron with like Erica Kell and and, and her squadron, um, <clears throat> you you run the risk of it being too much too soon, and there being so many characters there that you can't really understand what's going on. And I think what they did really cleverly with the High Republic was, yeah, look, they, they needed to introduce a lot of characters, but they sort of did it over two or three storylines, so. What I mean here is that you've got all these Jedi, okay? And you've got uh, a, a few different books. So you've got, um, I think you've got Light of the Jedi. And then there was another book by Claudia Gray, um, which was called, if I remember, it was called Into the Dark, if I remember correctly, by Claudia Gray. Um, <clears throat> they were chronologically the first two that came out. But actually the storylines, whilst they intertwine, they seem to be, sort of following two distinct paths. And like they do genuinely heavily intertwine, but Light of the Jedi, which was the first book, seems to have been followed up by the third book, which is the Cavern Scott Rising Storm. That feels like more of a direct sequel. Now, I know it's not, but and they're, they're all theoretically standalone, but it's almost like there's two threads because then you've got, like I said, the Claudia Gray Into the Dark, which is a young adult novel, and then you've got the Justina Island, Out of the Shadows, which is another young adult novel. And it feels like it sort of carries on that character set a little bit more because you've got you've got in Rising Storm, you've got the Light of the Jedi characters like Belzettify, you've got Lord and Great Storm. That story's kind of carried through. Uh, Marching Rome plays more of a, 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 a sort of um, a, a role and so do, do his supporting characters, which we'll get to in a second. Um, <clears throat> in the, the more, the more grown-up books, if you like. Whereas you've got, like I said, you've got the Claudia Gray, you've got the Justina Island stuff out there over the other way. Um, 
So what, it's interesting that they've got these multi-threads. Now, I will say that I've purposely not read the comics, all right, because there's some crossover with that as well. You've got Avar Chris, you've got uh, Buriaga, the Wookiee uh, Jedi. You've got a few characters that do cross over into the comics as well. And then, uh, you know, I assume some of the things like the Drengu, again, which we'll get to in a second. I've purposely not read those. The reason that I've not read those is that um, when I was collecting DC comics, like I'm a huge DC fan, I, I read... Um, I'm pretty sure that I've read every major comic book storyline from Crisis up to probably a year into the New 52, so 1985 up till about 2012, um, and I got pissed with the New 52. It was not very good. I picked up Rebirth, just couldn't get back into it. Um, but I, I was a voracious comic book reader, you know, the DC stuff. I really, really dug into and read. However, um, I found it difficult to, to read week on week. You know, I was, I was always picking up a collection of four, either in a trade. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that picks up graphic novels or trades. I'm not a trade paperback guy. I have to admit in, rather than picking up one trade paperback that collects four or six, um, I'd rather, I'd rather buy the four or six comics that constitute that, that trade paperback or the graphic novel. Um, so as an example, you know, flashpoint, uh, from DC, I wouldn't buy the flashpoint, uh, graphic novel. Instead, what I would do is I would buy, you know, flashpoint one through four or one through six. I've it is. Um, and I would have them. I just prefer that style of reading. So the reason I say that is that I've not picked these comics up, the High Republic comics, because um, I, I, I struggle to read week on week. It was the same with like the Kieran Gillen stuff, um, the Vader stuff. It was the same with like the stuff that was between Empire and, 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 and Jedi. Um, that was in the Star Wars line through Marvel last year. I just, I haven't picked it up the High Republic comic book, because I can't read it week on week. I find it difficult. You know, I, 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 I need to get into the story. So that's the caveat with this one. Now, <clears throat> what's interesting with this High Republic to me is that um, from the hero side, you know, we've always had this sort of very black and white, this very binary, this very, okay, look, good is here, evil is here. Um, and the evil has always been like force wheels outside of the legends. I'm not talking legends with the Yuuzhan Vong and all that sort of stuff. I'm not talking any of that stuff. I'm talking here pure canon. You know, we, it's always been light and dark. All right. And, and what's fascinating is that they've come out of the blocks with this High Republic stuff and it's not light and dark. It's good and bad. Jedi good, other people bad, but it's not, it's not light and dark side. They exist, and there's some fascinating stuff that I'll get to in a second about that, but it's not as simple as Jedi versus Sith. Now, what's really fascinating about this is that the Jedi are, are, are ultimately, you know, the strongest force in the galaxy, theoretically. You know, there's 10,000 of them that fly these amazing spacecraft, these vectors that rely on instinct. They're a little bit like the TIE fighter, very nippy. Uh, they're very in and out. They don't have shields. Um, they, or they don't appear to have shields from what I can tell. Um, they require a lightsaber to ignite the control system and they're, they're very much powered by instinct. And we see these amazing feats from the Jedi in the High Republic. These, because there are that many of them together and they're not fighting a war they're just being peacekeepers. So they're not spread thin like they are in Attack of the Clones and beyond. They are collectively doing the job that the, we've heard that they did. The peacekeepers, they are not spread thin being generals. So we see the Jedi doing the Jedi stuff that we wanted to see and we've always wanted to see. And there are some amazing feats that they write here. You know, I think it was, um, it was in the first book, Light of the Jedi, where um, they all pull together and they manipulate the weather. They stop this, just this, this crashing um, cargo ship coming out of hyperspace. They stop it and slow it down and divert it using the collective power of thousands, hundreds of Jedi 
pulling together to do the same thing with the force. Then they do it again in the rising storm. Um, and we see these flashes of, of the dark side. You know, we see these flashes of, um, you know, I won't ruin it, but like in the rising storm, there's a huge attack on a very key space in, in, in the Star Wars or the High Republic universe. Um, and one Jedi in particular, one Jedi in particular, Elzar Man, he has to do something to clear and to stop people being killed. But the only way he can do that is he taps into the dark side. It's the only way that he'll achieve the power that he needs to be able to do this thing. You know, the light side wouldn't give him enough power. And so we see the dark side represented in a slightly different way, which is fascinating. And then what they did, which I really like about the High Republic was, like I said, it it would be easy for this to be, okay, Yoda's here, let's tell some Yoda stories. But they didn't. Instead, what they did was they raised the stakes. They changed the game by, in the first book, Light of the Jedi, taking everything that we know about the safety of hyperspace. You know, the, throughout the Star Wars lore, hyperspace has, 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 has been tantamount to safety. If you get to hyperspace, you are safe, um, with the exception of The Last Jedi, uh, which is controversial, of course, but nonetheless, um, they got chased through hyperspace um, or tracked through hyperspace. But we've always known hyperspace to be this safety net. Not anymore. Not anymore. You know, hyperspace can be manipulated. We can drop out of hyperspace by accident. And we saw this tragedy, the first thing, this Hetzel Prime tragedy, where the ship crashes out of hyperspace. And I'll not tell you why it crashes out of hyperspace, but you think, well, we've never seen that before. And then they go ahead and they, you know, so they've taken the safety of the hyperspace lanes away from us. And we we start to see the Republic, you know, they're not, you know, they're, they're expanding the frontier. They've got this thing called Starlight Beacon, which is set to explore the Outer Rim. So like, have they found Tatooine yet? Have they found Dantooine? Have they found Mustafar? Have they found um, Geonosis? All these places on the Outer Rim, have they found these places yet? You know, they're just building relationships with the Togruta race, which as we know in Star Wars is, is, is a very prime race. Um, so this is the early days of that kind of frontier expansion. So it's sort of like, well, you know, they then go ahead and introduce this villain, who can manipulate hyperspace. They can achieve things using hyperspace that shouldn't theoretically be doable. So they can jump into low gravity. They can jump in, into in, underneath the atmosphere of a planet, which they shouldn't be able to do according to hyperspace rules as established. And they've got these things called the paths. So this is the villain that they introduced called the Nihil. And somehow, a little bit like Thrawn, you know, the Ascendancy, the Chiss Ascendancy, uh, they've got their Skywalkers. So the Star Wars universe is building up these Force users. You know, we call them um, the trained Force users, the Jedi or the Sith. Uh, We've got Force sensitives, of course, in the Star Wars galaxy. But we've now got um, the Pathfinders with the Nihil um, or the Pathfinder who can just navigate hyperspace much like the Skywalkers do in the Chiss Ascendancy. Um, you know, they use these Skywalkers, these Force sensitives to hyper-navigate because of their, you know, we saw it with Anakin in the pod races, because of their instincts and their that slight precognitive ability to be able to just navigate at such speed through hyperspace. Um, <clears throat> so we've got this range now of these Force users and the Nihil have got their own. Okay, um, and th- it gives the Nihil these, these, this ability to just use hyperspace in a different, very chaotic way, and it's that that's fascinating because this Nihil villain that we are seeing now. They're marauders. They are space pirates, but they are they are becoming bolder. They are becoming more violent. They are becoming more. Um, 
more numbered. There are more of them. They're becoming bolder in their attacks as the High Republic progresses. They uh, have got an agenda. They are structured very interestingly. They've got this head, which they call the Eye. Um, they've got this chap, Marchion Rowe, who has accidentally stumbled upon this weapon that can nullify energy weapons. So this, this, this essentially a lightsaber nullifier, whilst also having this, this thing, this creature that we've only really seen once, um, at the, the, the kind of culmination of the Lord and Great Storm story out, which was fucking brilliant. Um, we've only seen this creature that he's got, but he it can nullify the force. So he can, he's got these two things at his disposal that can, number one, nullify the force, and number two, nullify a lightsaber. Suddenly, things are on an even keel. Just while the Jedi are trying to figure out how he's navigating through hyperspace in such a chaotic and sporadic way and achieving things that they didn't think were possible. So it's fascinating. It is fascinating that you've got this very sentient, very smart, very, very... Um, secretive organization with a clear hierarchy of the the I, you know, the Nihil I. You've got this. Um, you've got his generals, his lieutenants, Lorna D. You've got um, Pan Eta, which you know, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything, but he's got these three generals that uh, you know sort of serve underneath him, and these tempests, this group of kind of these almost battalions of Nihil that are controlled by these these three generals, these tempest runners. Um, and the first book was a lot to take in because, you know, you know, we were getting used to this vernacular, but it's very, very interesting once you get into it. You know, it's very, very well thought out and very, very well done. So you've got this really clearly sentient, malicious enemy over here that is doing things that the Jedi and the Republic can't keep up with. All while the Jedi are trying to expand into the outer regions and so on and so forth and, and kind of forge ahead with new frontiers. Then on the flip side of this, you've got this other villain, this Drengia villain, this Drengia, I don't know how you say it, Drengia, Drengia, um, who are like this sentient plant life, but they're a little bit like Hydra. You take off one head, two more spring up. They're like a terrifying plant life that will, they're just inevitable. They will not stop. Um... And they're, they're sort of being handled in the comics a little bit more than they are here uh, in the books, but but they were introduced in um, Into the Dark by Claudia Gray, and they, they sort of crop up throughout then. Um, and they seem pretty unstoppable. You know, they, they thrive off spores. If a spore of the Drengear ends up on a planet, it will take over the planet. And then that's what the... So the Jedi are kind of starting to get pulled out on all these different fronts. They're getting busy over here with the Drengear. They're getting busy over here with the Nihil attacks. Um, and, and so you, 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 you come to the fore with these two brilliantly interesting enemies that are very much unlike anything that we've seen with the Sith and yet are somehow equally unstoppable to the Jedi. And then you have all these interesting Jedi. You've got Venestra, who's the youngest ever Jedi knight at age 16 or 15 when she was knighted. You've got Stellan Geos, this kind of very dashing, um, you know, the by-the-book Jedi. You've got Elzar Man that's sort of towing the path a little bit. You know, he's got a few love interests, tapped into the dark side once, and he needs some help with it. You've got this beacon of the Jedi, this public figure, this Avar Chris. Her and Stellan are very much the public-facing um, kind of uh, I suppose the celebrities of the Jedi, a little bit like the the the, the old canon Anakin and Obi Wan during the Clone Wars, the faces of the Jedi, um, <clears throat> and then you've got just these other interesting types of powers going on as well. These these empaths, uh, there's an empath Jedi that is really, you know, a real like Peter Petrelli style empath. 
um, you know, he's not absorbing powers, but he can certainly feel and, and influence deeply what people are feeling, which is fascinating as well through the force. Um, so it's a real interesting mix and I really highly recommend it. And I think what's also interesting is that you've got, they are starting to draw a few parallels between like this hubris of the Jedi that we see in the prequel trilogy. You know, the Jedi then, when you look at what they are in the High Republic, they're frankly a shadow of their former self. You know, they've got, they have got that hubris that we hear about, you know, the Jedi, as we've always known them in this new canon, you know, we, we, the, the Jedi, as we knew them as being at their greatest was during the Clone Wars or the prequel trilogy, maybe the Phantom Menace just before through maybe Master and Apprentice and some of the pre, uh, like Dooku, um, Jedi lost, you know, those kind of books. But actually we've, we've always got told that it was the hubris of the Jedi that led to Anakin's fall, certainly majorly contributed to it. Um, but we've never seen that hubris. But and we've assumed that the prequel era Jedi were the Jedi at the greatest of their power, even though them themselves, Mace Windu said that they weren't. But we've never seen it in this new canon. Like, well, okay, when were they better than this? And this High Republic is when they were better. Now, what's interesting, like I said, they're drawing some parallels here, is that you've got Master Yoda. Again, remember, not Grandmaster, just Master. He's out there doing his thing, becoming the best he can be. And, you know, he's still clearly revered as the best Jedi. There are a few others that have got this legend about him that you like, you know, are up there with Master Yoda status. But there are a few throwaway comments throughout these books where it's like, well, look, if Master Yoda was here, this would be different. So he, even now he's seen as like the most powerful Jedi. And I think that gives you some insight into how powerful Anakin was. You know, when you consider that, um, you got 10,000 Jedi all thinking Yoda's the most powerful and yet Yoda was fearful of Anakin, you know, in terms of the dark side and, and that fear um, that Anakin manifested and the power that he had. Um, and he sort of, it adds a little bit of context to how high Anakin got so quickly in terms of stature. Um, but like I said, Yoda's still around. And so what interests me is that one of the threads that I'll mention is that they are sort of saying there's one... Um, there's one politician in the Senate who is saying things that mirror what happens in Attack of the Clones or, you know, the prequel trilogy, at least, where he's saying, look, the Jedi are peacekeepers, they're brilliant. But what if the Jedi weren't here or what if the Jedi, you know, fell or if they're turned to the dark side, you know, God forbid, we need our own defense program. We need the Republic defense program. And, it's, and, it's, and they don't go so far as to say an army, but what they do do is they say, we need a Republic defense program. And... Everyone's fighting against it. And it, it, it shadows the prequel trilogy. It shadows the creation of the Grand Army of the Republic. It shadows Cypher Dias. And well, we know it wasn't. Or was it Cypher Dias? Or was it someone pretending to be Cypher Dias? Hmm. You know, commissioning this clone army. And it's a very strong parallel. So it makes you think, and I think this is why they're doing it. Well, if Yoda was around here in the High Republic and saw all this shit going off, is that why he was so ready to accept the clones in Attack of the Clones? And granted, the clones bailed the Jedi out on Geonosis. They did. But it also created a war, you know, and it led to the Empire. And is that, I mean, how far back? I mean, obviously Palpatine's not here, but, you know, is Plagueis going to be involved? We don't know how, how old Plagueis was. How, how, he's, a, he's a mun, you know, he, he, God knows how old he is. Are we going to start to see it? I'm sure this is me overthinking it. It's probably not. But, is this a machination to get someone like a Grandmaster Yoda or the Jedi ready to accept an army and to say we need an army and to be proponents of that army, not detractors from that army? You know, if, 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 if by usurping the Jedi at their greatest time, you know, in this High Republic era, 
if it makes someone like a Yoda think to himself in 400 years time, when he sees this shit happening again, when he sees someone trying to take over and splinter the Republic, like the Nihil are doing and the Drengir are doing, well, wait a minute, we saw all this before. We would have been better had we had an army. Well, wait a fucking sec. There's a clone army that Cypher Dias commissioned. Right. I'm more ready to accept that now because I've seen it happen before. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that they're going to be linked. I mean, that would be a very tenuous link, but who knows? You know, we know the Sith calculate and the Sith have yet to make an appearance. Um, the Sith Wars, they have been referenced, interestingly, in the High Republic, but the Sith have not made an appearance. The Sith have not made an appearance. Let that sink in. The greatest villains in Star Wars history have not made an appearance outside of Thrawn. I think he's the greatest villain. But it's interesting. So should you check out The High Republic? Yes, you should. If you are a Star Wars fan, even if you're into Legends, and look, I know it sucked that Legends got pulled out of being canon and just, you know, parked up as being Legends. I get why they did it, but I know it sucks. But look, The High Republic is solid. All right, it's solid. Is every book a home run? Of course not. But is every book good? Yeah, it's good. Even the one that I wasn't that keyed on, the Claudia Gray book, like it's better than a lot of other books that you will read in other sci-fi. It's a good... Claudia Gray doesn't write bad books. All right, that's it. So should you check it out? Yes, you should. All right, so please go and check it out. I I, I, I just think you'll be fascinated by it like, like I was. I think it's it's just, it's a great period to explore and I'm so glad that they're giving us more canon. Um, and I'm just, I'm excited to see what goes on with it. I'm really excited to see what goes on with it. So should you check out The High Republic? Yes, you should. All right, listen, this has been Spark Rebellion. Thank you for joining me. It's a real pleasure to be able to do this and uh, just to be able to chat Star Wars. I love doing it and it's a shame that Gaz is not here, but we will, we will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow. We will be back next week with our usual back and forth, picking up some of the news. There's been some Star Wars news this week. Go and pick up The High Republic if you haven't. If you have, let me know what you think over on Twitter, sparkerebellion.com slash Twitter. Let's have a bit of chinwag over there about it. Until the next time, Thank you for joining us, and remember, the Force will be with you always.